Welcome to After the JAG Corps, Navigating Your Career Progression, a podcast for judge advocates leaving military service. After the JAG Corps assists officers transitioning from the military law practice by learning from individuals who have successfully embarked on new careers, providing insight on rewarding professional opportunities, job search strategies, resumes, the value of your military experience, and more. Now, here is your host, Tom Welsh. Today, we're talking to Mike Lucan, a retired Navy captain. Mike was in for about 21 years and retired back in 2020, right, Mike? That's correct. Well, welcome. It's good Thank to you. see you. Hey, Tom, good to see you. I know we crossed paths here and there through our careers, and it's good to catch up and see you again. Mike, I know I told you this, but when I thought about launching this, you were the guy that I thought I need to have because I am intrigued by your story. Anybody that knows you knows that you have a reputation as a mill just guy, and you're ending up working corporate at Walmart. Sad day if, I, if I'm the lead on that, right? It was out of the blue. I had made my decision to go ahead and step away from the Navy and start a second career. It was just a point in my life for my family and myself to do so and start thinking about it. And then became, okay, what next? I saw a lot of people definitely go into DOJ, DOD type jobs. I just felt that if I was going to step out of the JAG Corps, I want to go into a different organization completely just because otherwise, why not stay in? JAG Corps was good to me, and but it was just time based on where I, again, as I said, where I was in my life and where the JAG Corps was at that point. Then it becomes, where would my skills fit in best? I did a lot of soul searching. I also did a lot of Google searching, try to find where my skill sets would fit. Obviously, a natural transition would be into a litigation job, even doing military justice. And those are some of the things I considered doing defense work. I know a lot of people think I'm a, a government guy, but I had done some defense and I just felt I could add some value there. I did that consideration. I looked into ethics, compliance, and really just spent a lot of time kind of looking to see what was out there. Walmart came about. What did you see was the best fit for your skills? What skills did you see that, hey, these are my strong suit going into other work? Good question, because I it was hard to identify that first, but litigation, obviously, courtroom type things. But I also recognized that what I brought to the, t- I felt I brought to the table was taking complex issues or complex projects and working through them with a team and get them to ultimately the, the final solution, if you will. Leading a group of people, I felt was a strong suit. I would be able to add value there in our organization skills. The one soft skill I kept pushing was judgment, taking hard issues and making, making a decision based on the skills and based on the experience I had, not only in the courtroom, but also as an SJ. I had been an SJ a couple of different tours and handled a couple challenging issues in, in those times. The other thing, too, is bringing a global aspect, having been overseas, stationed in Singapore, time in Iraq, but also different special projects I had overseas. So I had an idea of the global picture that many peers may not have had. When did you start looking for work in earnest? The Navy does not make that easy for those transitioning because they want that nine to 12 months kind of notice. I had planned on going, looking at that about the nine month mark. Then there became an opportunity where I felt I needed to let my leadership know that it was time for me to go. And I was taking steps to do so. The first question is, well, what are you going to do next? And I said, I don't know. We got to figure it out. Interesting. I was talking with one potential employer and they said, hey, well, let us know when you're about three months or you're about six months from getting out. But when you start Working back your terminal leave, you start working out some of the other odds and ends. 
nine months creeps up quickly. Nine months isn't nine months out. You're now within, if you have all your leave and everything else, now you're within about three or four or five months from doing it and potentially doing the, what they call the double dipping. I had to tell one employer, I'm like, hey, I'm in that zone. I know it looks like I, I retire in, I think it was end of May, but I'm available in February. That opened up, you know, all of a sudden the aperture, people going, oh, okay, let's go ahead and start seeing what positions are available. That's another thing you need to understand too. Unlike in the military, military, we like, okay, that job's opening up in that year. That job's opening up there at this time. Civilian things are popping up all the time in different areas. That just makes it more challenging. One thing I do appreciate the leadership did do for me is they said, if you need an extra two, three, four months, it's easier to add that on than it is to take it off. I appreciate that. And especially with COVID, I almost had to take advantage of that. But uh, fortunately, things worked out. How did your presence employment with Walmart come about? I was tracking different things in LinkedIn, Indeed, some of the other job search sites, Google. Someone had mentioned to me that there was a veteran legal fair in D.C. I wasn't interested in doing job fairs, if you will. It's just something that I wasn't sure that was really the type, if that would work out for me or not. Well, it's when we looked at this and with my wife and she said, hey, this looks like something you should probably go check out. Now, there's a little quick story as well is Walmart had a job uh, probably a little bit above my pay grade, but I went ahead and put my name in through it. And one of the screenings was, would you be willing to move to Arkansas? And I laughed and we talked about that, my wife and I. I said, maybe they'll let me do it remotely. That would screen me out of that job opportunity. Fast forward a couple months and I'm in uh, DC for this job, for this legal job fair for veterans. We're at the mixer and you're interacting with different, they have a lot of big names, you know, your Googles, your Amazons, Walmarts, and a few others, Bank of America's as well as firms. The Walmart gentleman is actually a reserve Marine Colonel. So I went over and then talked to him a few minutes. I'm like, so Walmart, huh? He goes, yeah, I go, Arkansas. He goes, yeah, have you ever been? I go, nope. And he goes, why not? I go, never had the need to to go to Arkansas. And he started telling me about Northwest Arkansas and how it's different and all these other things. I just smiled and nodded. And he said, no, Michael, you should really take a look. And I said, all right. So a couple other things were also panning out there at that that session as well, potentially. I uh, called the wife and said, would we consider Arkansas? And she said, it's not on our no list. And so, um, so I kept in touch with this gentleman. I didn't hear anything for a good month or two. So I was already looking a different direction. And he reached out to me and said, Hey, have you heard anything? I said, no. He went in and he goes, send me your resume again. He went in to talk to a couple people, told me to, he goes, you need to apply to these five, six different jobs. I did, didn't hear anything. And he called me back. So have you heard anything? I said, Nope. He says, I'm taking care of this. So then he went and talked to somebody who was a vice president of anti-corruption. This Marine called me back and said, someone's going to be calling you. They're going to talk to you about job. Right. Okay. Sounds great. So my, now I call him grandpa boss because he's my senior VP. So I have a VP, then a senior VP, senior VP. His name's Tom. Tom calls me and we're talking and I didn't really appreciate where he fell in the organization at the time. All I was told was, Hey, one of the officers is going to be giving you a call. And he, we talked for a few minutes and he said, look, look at your resume, look at your background. Why don't we meet? And fly you out here, flew me out. And we, I did a day of interviews uh, with the team and we talked for a little while and, and people asked me, you moved to Arkansas, uh, why? And I think the question should be, hmm, what is it that he knows that we don't know? Found out it's a great place to live for the family. Walton's throw a lot of money into this area. There's a lot of uh, globalism here, if you will. Ultimately, didn't really step on myself too much during the interviews. I was invited back, but I talked to Tom about it and said, I before I make a decision on anything, I want my family to be able to see the place. And he's all right, let's fly you guys out. So they flew me out again. It worked out. And so it just seemed like a good fit for both of us. 
You've been at Walmart now for about a year and a half. My boss won't let me say I'm new anymore. <laughs> I keep saying I'm, I'm new to Walmart. And he's like, no. I tell him that, hey, because of COVID, my first year is kind of stunted. And he's like, no, you're not new. Sorry. Well, that, so. that gets to what I was going to ask is the adjustment from all those law practices or areas of the law that we have in the, in the military practice to your global anti-corruption in Walmart. How was the learning curve, the transition to the new area of the law? Very steep. Very steep because uh, the area I focus on is Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, the FCPA. I hadn't practiced in that area. What I did find that I had to be knowledgeable previously of many different UCMJ code, you know, the code and all the different rules and charges, if you will. Whereas now I just had, I, I'm looking at one statute and it's basically don't bribe foreign officials and keep accurate book and records. And then everything from there is policy driven. So when I'm taught in meetings and talking with people, I find myself associating like, okay, I understand what they mean by this. For instance, our POANM is really in their language, MAPS, Management Action Plans. It's the same idea of planning, what are the steps to do it, who's in charge of it, and let's work forward on that. So there's that piece. From the legal side of things, I still do research about the FCPA. What's interesting is there's just not a lot of case law on there because a lot of times cases are disposed of because that's in the best interest of the company and in the government. Reading between the tea leaves and again, comes back to what's best for the program and proper judgment. One thing that really helps obviously is having that global sense. So I'm on the calls regularly with our different markets. That includes India, Mexico, Central America, South Africa, Canada, China, and a couple others as well. So that part's been very fun. But as for transition, smooth. I prepped myself for it too. I'm going through a period of discernment right now. One of the things that uh, you touched upon earlier is I'm contemplating getting certification as compliance ethics official. And those are two things that you looked at. You obviously did not choose that narrow focus, nor I don't think I would. But having been a staff judge advocate, how well of a fit or how easy was it from a compliance standpoint to make that move? from SJA to corporate counsel? It's not easy because you need to get yourself there. As SJAs, we all did ethics reviews. We were doing internal investigations and that's what ethics and compliance is. I talked to some people and they're into the regulatory deep dive on ATF type stuff, tobacco industry, health and wellness. And those are just areas I, ha I haven't played it with. Try to dabble into or look into health and wellness because I think that's a, a growing area of compliance. But for all those SJs who have worked in hospitals, that might be a great spot to really check out. Right now, personal information security is a big area that is growing. And we're dealing with that, especially as an international business. You know, we've been a Fortune 1 company for the last, I think it's nine years now, if not more. And so there's expectations that the company has certain compliance things figured out and done well. Transitioning over, it's not crazy hard. Again, it comes down to judgment. I've, I've dealt with some ethics things for, we have a whole different ethics department. My grandpa boss, as I call, as I said, I call him, he oversees ethics as well. And I've talked to some of the individuals over there and good people. I do think the SJ world has probably more experience in dealing with gifts interaction with third-party intermediaries, ethical complaints, and how do you handle those? How do you dispose of those? How do you investigate those? Those skill sets are there and definitely something you want to promote. With these issues, do you find yourself kind of resorting sometimes to your SJ background and your familiarization with the joint ethics regulations? Sort of, hey, these were, these were safe rules for us. 
Yeah, absolutely. Give me an example, for instance. When I came in, I noticed that the anti-corruption department, the gifts or expenditures related to government officials, that fell under us. We have a policy or in our, or excuse me, it's in our procedures where that's addressed of what you're able to do, how you're able to do it, how it gets screened, things of that sort. And I kind of scratched my head with it a little bit going, why is that in anti-corruption? Shouldn't that really be under ethics? And I think they're getting there and they're looking at some of that. But we just had a discussion just last week, my VP and I were talking about it, of expenditures to government. What is the threshold when it comes to our people receiving a gift? And so when you're dealing with some of these countries where the non-government entity is really a government entity, because like China or India, they have certain influences. And all of a sudden, that entity invites several people, or, or you know, the CEO or senior leadership of several companies to, to attend a dinner or attend something. What's the risk there? And how does that look? And what are the rules there? And it's very easy to say, hey, everybody's attending. We're good. Yeah, but at what point are, are we not good? And so that background of WAG, widely attended gatherings. I mean, I'm getting it, right? So there's my litigation blocking that from there. You know, these WAGs and seeing how the Navy and Joint Ethic Regulations addresses these and bringing that into how the corporate world does that as well. One other thing I want to share too is, for instance, you have the uh, ethics desk book that everybody always goes to. I looked at that and said, why don't we have something similar? And so working with some of the ethics team, I throw that out there. Hey, take a look at this. Maybe we want to do that. What I've done within anti-corruption is our policies and procedures kind of developing something like that as well, where you can push out advice, give some guidance, a little bit more formal than what they're used to, and a little bit more discipline. Another question on that, obviously, when we're dealing with military officers, especially senior officers on the ethics and compliance front, they have an interest in making sure they comply because it can impact them professionally. In an environment on the corporate side where maybe you're trying to impose some ethical rigidity where maybe there wasn't before, how hard is it to get that horse to the, to the water? It comes down to what is the corporate characteristic. The thing about Walmart that I've seen is integrity, integrity, integrity. They, they push on that hard. They talk, we talk about it uh, is in our messaging internally as well as externally, but if it, I've been in these conversations, for instance, where real estate, say, wants to do certain things and try to get certain licenses, we have procedures where we have we do certain due diligence on companies and who we interact with. It takes a few days sometimes to get all the information that we need to do in order to do a competent due diligence. But meanwhile, business wants to, you know, hey, come on, let's go. This is a great opportunity. And this is a deal. And that's the balance you got to find. And so I'm often talking with my VP about our people need to be at the table early and develop that partnership, kind of what the SJ has with the commander of making operational decisions. And that's relationship building. What you find sometimes is some of our market directors have a very strong relationship with the, with the leadership, with the business, and some others are still working at that. And that's the constant pool. And so you try to support them, guide them. I've come into this job saying, hey, I'm around 24 hours a day. Give me a call if you're having some challenges or how do you want to explain to the business why this is important? And just because we're not the blocker, it's just that you came to, you came to us a little bit late. So it's going to take a little bit of time for us to get there. Had the business given us some of the information sooner, we might be able to move forward on that. But I put that also on the team, market team, because they need to be involved. They need to show their value and they need to 
be a partner as, a, as opposed to a blocker. Shifting gears a little bit, when you were putting your resume together, how did you approach your resume? And a couple of sub questions on that. Did you go with a, a functional resume, a hybrid resume? And what were the things that you highlight? And they'll tell you to provide quantified results. And a lot of times as an SJA, you're an enabler. I feel like I can't show that the advice I gave equaled this. A lot of times you're proving a negative. So unpack that rambling question as you will. There's a lot in there. Let me handle first how I would go about from an SJA perspective of putting on the ethics. I would talk about the number of people and the geography and the expanse of advice you were you were given in the different areas. Because again, I'm finding in the corporate world, a lot of times people are like, hey, I did health and wellness. I did investigations on administrative types of most JAGs have covered a broad spectrum of areas and show and demonstrate they're they're able to uh, function. And it's not just in ethics, but several different areas at the same time. So it truly is a general counsel. We're not experts in particular in particular area. In fact, I laughed six months ago. Someone's we were I was in a meeting and they said, yeah, and then we're gonna get up with the, the SME subject matter expert. And I'm like, okay, who's that? They go for anti-corruption, it's you. And I go, what? <laughs> I just started this guy. What are you talking about? And they're like, no, you're this me. And I'm like, okay, I'm this me. Got it. Check. So having that confidence of our understanding, I, I push back a little bit on the quantifiable because whether you advise 10 commands or 600 commands, I don't think that's going to be the turning point in the interview or them considering you. They're going to look at the background and see if you're you have some experience or valuable experience to offer the company. Then they're going to look at you as a person like, can this person work with us? Is it a good fit? If so, then, okay. Me walking in the door, I mean, like you, I point out, I didn't press the FCPA, but they were hiring me for a different reason. They were looking for my background of both litigation, but also the fact that I had touch on ethics, but also I had been international and I had worked with lots of different groups and some difficult cases. One thing I was tell about resumes, I just reviewed a senior officer's in the Navy's resume, and I just looked at it to see what, how they approach it. His was a page and a half. That tells me something over a 30-year career, and his was a page and a half, and he hit all the marks he needed to hit, because really, that is the introductory. The challenge is, you're, if you're dealing with these portals, you have to have the magic language in there, because the computer's going through and screening it and checking it. If, your mag if the magic words aren't there, your, your resume doesn't make it through. But for the interview or for the meeting, the general resume should just hit the highlights of what your career has done and your, your significant accomplishments. The challenge you will have is, for give me an example, I worked at one stage, I was at SJ at Commander Patrol Reconnaissance Force U.S. Pacific Fleet, Compact Recon 4 Pack, back in Hawaii many moons ago. What does that mean to anybody? They don't know what I, I mean, in fact, I was an SJA, you have a one star, they don't know what that means. So I had to translate stuff into you know, staff counsel, general counsel, depending on at, at what level I was at in, in my career path. XO, I think I qualified as executive director. Trial counsel doesn't work, <laughs> I'll yeah. tell you. So prosecutor. One thing that worked for my resume is, and I was very fortunate, my wife has done uh, executive coaching and she's seen thousands of resumes and reviewed them. So she really helped me through kind of putting mine together. I knew it was working when I would walk into the interview. I was at Walmart and people would say, I've been looking forward to talking to you because I wanted to hear about this or I want to hear about that. So you want the resume portions to strike up conversation. You don't want to give the whole thing right there in your resume. 
and quite honestly, people are just going to review, you know, skim through it like, okay, check. I know what I know, what this person does and what they bring. And we kind of use resume as a catch-all. It's like ROE, right? In the yeah. sense that if you're applying for a specific job, if you knew you were applying for the anti-corruption job, you would have done your research and honed in on some of those things that you think would have made you attractive. But whereas you have the Marine Colonel saying, hey, give me your resume, you're more talking about an overall profile. Yeah, so their CV, you know, people call resumes, some have CVs, some bios. So I had a kind of a, a few different ones. I had an international resume where, you know, I, I really stressed my international experience. I had a litigation CV. If I'm applying for a job like the one I got, I'm not going to be touting how many prosecutions, defense cases I did or sentences that were achieved. That's not important. What's important instead is a broader sense, more of an SJ similar. So I'm focused on my global, my special projects I worked while on the Jaguar, uh, my Article 6 experience, things of that sort, so that it ticked off and they go, okay, he, he does have some experience, some background on this. One thing too is it's a living document. It, you're constantly tweaking it, changing it. You like a different format. You'll see somebody else's like, oh, that's kind of interesting how they did how they did that. Get resumes from others. Take their language. That's what I've I've had several people reach out to me. I've shared my resume with them. And say, feel free to steal the language. It, you know, I don't own it. Obviously, I received so, several compliments on the, the resume and the format. And as I tell people, well, it's the best one I could find on the on, on the internet for me to use. So it worked out. We in the JAG Corps don't have to worry about negotiating salary or negotiating pay. Take us through at the wave top level of when they made the offer and approaching compensation and benefits. What is that like? Challenging. Because I don't believe we truly appreciate our value 100%. One of the things for me when people ask, what's important to you when you get out? I wanted to be paid for what I brought to the table. If I'm only worth $50 an hour or $25 an hour, okay, then that's what I'm valued at. But if I'm handling big cases or big projects, with multiple people where there's great risk to my career, I want to be compensated for that. That was important for me. I went through two TAP classes purposely because each of them were different. I did one in DC and one in Norfolk. And I encourage people to go to two because you're going to pick up different things from each one. So I was in the room with all the man, 05s, 06s, there's a couple flag officers. They all have their specialties. They have us do that thing where you, hey, what's your value? Should your salary be? Facilitator came over by me and she goes, so what's yours say? I go, I think this is wrong. And she looked at, because it was over 200,000, you know, pushing up to 300,000. I go, I think this is wrong. She goes, no. She goes, that's easily it. Get used to it. Get comfortable with it. And I said, okay. She goes, don't sell yourself short. Part of my networking was talking to people about how does the salary work? How, where, where does it come in at? And how do I negotiate this stuff? I had an idea of kind of what I was shooting for, what I would be happy with, kind of what my low point would be and what my high point would be. Keep in mind several different things. You got stock equity is another player in this. You have moving costs. That's another thing to consider. Uh, bonus structure. How is the bonus figured out? So when Walmart and I had my meetings and my VP at the time kind of ran through kind of, hey, Mike, this is how it works. There's a base pay. There's a salary, you know, salary bonus. Your, bon your bonus is based on your salary and there's equity. But the numbers weren't in there. And I was like, well, what does that number, you know, what's that number look like? And they have a range. Ultimately, I said, look, you know, I want to make sure we're on the same page because if you're not even close to where I'm hoping to be, then maybe we shouldn't be like, don't worry about it. I'm like, all right. I thought I wasn't going to fly back 
the second time, unless I had a number in mind or they were going to share with me. My assigned recruiter called me and out of the blue. He was like, all right, so what are you looking for? And I was like, oh, we're having this conversation. He goes, yeah. And I was like, bet you, you're probably not going to come out with a number first. You're probably going to have me take the number. He goes, absolutely. He goes, you start. <laughs> I said, okay. And I had a number in my head, start the negotiation, see where it was going. I'm like, I have nothing to lose. And I threw it, what I thought was a, a fair number. And I go, okay. And I justified and explained why. And he's like, all right, we'll see what we can do. Go ahead and get on the plane. Flew me out there and flew me back. And he's like, what do you think? I go, family says yes. He goes, okay, we'll start talking numbers. They came back at a different number, which I was happy with. But I was like, oh. I said, what do we do now? He goes, well, that's our counter offer. Uh, whether you counter or counter is up to you. And I said, do people usually counter the counter? He goes, yes. <laughs> I said, okay. Yeah, I'm like, okay, I understand. And I said, all right. I go, well, what are areas that people usually counter with? And he gave me about four or five. And I said, all right, let me think about it. And I came back and I said, okay, let me give you two different formulas. And 10 minutes later, he calls me. He's like, all right, no to this one. Yes to this one. We'll make it happen. And I was like, look, I'm not losing this job just because we're off by $5,000. That's not what's happening here. I'm just trying to get the most for my value. Yeah, it worked out great. I'm happy. I feel I'm being compensated appropriately for what I do. People ask me about Walmart. I said, well, they made it worth my while to, to move and move my family here. You have to do your research. You have to look at the jobs. But automatically, if you're walking out 10 years experience, look at what 10-year attorneys are doing. Yes, I had many conversations with people saying, hey, you got to be careful because they're taking a chance on you, especially the firms. You're probably, you're not going to be walking in as a partner in many cases. There, there's some opportunities possibly for that, uh, depending on what the firm is like. But a lot more are going to treat you uh, coming in as a four, fifth year associate. That's still a decent amount of money, folks. <laughs> you're still doing okay. Uh, you're paying the bills. My father-in-law worked at Walmart when he passed away at 59. And the Walmart management in Chesapeake, Virginia, and corporate could not have taken care of my mother-in-law any better. I appreciate the story because that was one of the questions that I was asked is, as I was going out, like, how are you going to get that kind of spirit decor feeling working in corporate America and having being part of something greater than yourself? I feel strongly. I have found that here in this company. They act with integrity. We stress repeatedly, take care of your people. One of our managers' husband is deployed. And so there is concern. We make sure we check in with her, do some things, you know, just like we would. They definitely take care of their people. Give you an example, for instance, we're pulling out of Afghanistan right now. My boss called me and said, hey, I've read a lot of stuff on this. Were you in Afghanistan? I explained I was in Iraq and Afghanistan. He says, okay. He goes, well, I've been reading a lot of stuff. I just want to make sure us to make sure we do is checking on people who served over there. And if you need any extra time just because of stuff that's going on and just please let me know, you'll get it. I'm like, I appreciate that. Thanks. I go, I'm good. But the fact that they're willing to do that for their people. Before we close out, this is your, your soapbox. Any questions I didn't ask or any thoughts that I didn't have, this is open floor for you to pass along your guidance or your thoughts on JAGs looking for work as they leave the core. So let me share you just a few things. I've had some people call me. Yeah, first of all, reach out, give me a call or check me out on LinkedIn. I'm more than happy to talk with people. One of the questions I received is, how did you develop your network? I did a couple of things. First of all, as I knew I was transitioning out or starting to, or I had the idea I would be transitioning out, I started doing some volunteer work outside of the military. 
So I started working with the civilian sector. So I understood how people thought that were non-military, how they did planning, learning how to influence people who didn't, you can't order or can't direct, right? So that was a skill set I, I tried to start and work on. It's not easy. It's stressful. You know, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. It's what I keep saying. But you want to put together your LinkedIn page. You want to do little things. I made business cards with my picture, my name, my email, and a QR code on the back to my LinkedIn. Because when I was talking to people, I wanted to give them something so they would remember me. You had to get bold and be willing to reach out to people who you may not know, but have people make introductions. And Tom, you and I talked before coming on, you know, you were telling me about the series. I'm like, yeah. And I routed off three or four people that I thought you needed to talk to at doing the series. And there's a huge network out there. So I encourage anybody and everybody, if you want to talk, I'll make time. Send me a note. Selfishly, this is me building my network with informational interviews. But I also wanted to build the network of similarly situated JAGs because I know just as you probably had anxiety at one time looking at the, uh, the making the transition, uh, I know that I've had it and trying to discern what you want to do. And I know there's others who are in the same boat. So I, one of the reasons I'm doing this is not only for me, but to try to build that network of other judge advocates, regardless of the service. And I thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. After the JAG Corps is a TJW 50 Associates LLC production. 